0: Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome to another T2 Hubcast and I'm on my own today. It's uh, me, Martin Johnson. Um, we've launched the hub now over recent months and we have more and more users coming on. Um, and we're getting some more requests for pathways and for particular hubcasts in areas that some of our customers are really interested in. And the last couple of days we've had a bit of an influx of inquiries around hiring and around a little bit more content and insight on some particular areas of hiring great talent so in usual fashion I thought we would uh, or I thought I would uh, on my own today come in and record a hubcast on uh, a couple of tips if you like for this particular hubcast around hiring and around sort of the sourcing uh, side of hiring great talent so we've done stuff uh, already on interviewing and interview techniques, and there's plenty of stuff on conducting an effective interview and structures and asking great questions, etc. But um, a lot of companies, a lot of organisations out there uh, do struggle with the hiring. Uh, sorry, with the sourcing element of hiring. So I just wanted to explore a few thoughts really on this podcast. I haven't pre-prepared too much, but I'm going to go through some some things that we usually. Um, share with customers in our training days around hiring great talent when it comes to sourcing, in particular. So the first thing I want to um, to share with you is around when you think about sourcing. Uh, let's go right back to the beginning um, of how we tend to start that process, which is the classic CV. And I guess the first question I always ask people these days is, when it comes to CVs, is are they really of any use in the modern day? I mean. With the emergence of the digital world and how companies, as I'll come on to, are sourcing candidates more and more these days through social media and other um, channels, we don't tend to, or, or many companies, don't tend to place as much onus on the old CV screening phase of the sourcing um, you know, part of hiring. But I guess the question is, is, are CVs really any of use? Well, my view on that is yes, of course. Yes, of course they are. I mean, it certainly at least helps us identify the the basic information about an individual, and I don't think that the value of that will ever truly go away. Um, yes, you could argue CVs. Um, you know, people can can uh, embellish the truth on on CVs. Um, you you know, does anybody really phone up for references, for example, on a CV anymore? Uh, some companies do and follow through on that. Certainly, a lot of recruitment organisations uh, insist on that. But um, you know, it is still a bit of hit and miss by it as, a, as a way of sourcing and creating a shortlist for candidates. But here's you know here's four things that a CV will give you and should be able to be verified if if uh, if you went to the lens to to verify it. Number one, tenure and experience. Of course, a CV is a great indicator of how much tenure somebody has or experience in the industry with similar organizations or in similar roles their employment history looking at their portfolio of of organizations they've worked for uh, will tell you a lot um, about this uh, about this individual in particular the length of time they've spent you know at these organizations you know you do get your classic job hoppers we always say if people are moving within two years every single job role and that should uh, ring an alarm bell uh, the average tenure in 2019 of an employee in an organization however is around about 3.5 years so it it shouldn't ring too many alarm bells if people hop around because it's becoming more and more Uh, part of the modern day workplace. You know, it used to be seven seven years. Everybody changed jobs every seven years. And that was only 20 years back. Since then, it's significantly dropped over the years. And the average tenure of an employee is 3.5 years because people tend to to either move on very quickly. We have more choice than ever. Um, And it's it's just not jobs for life anymore. But uh, however, a CV will give you Um, you know, uh, some of that detail. It'll also, or it should give you, if it's accurate, the qualifications the person has. And this is the big age-old debate about CVs. They are stacked with skills, experience, and qualifications. And there is very little about the person and the character, Um, usually a paragraph at the top. And we have a great saying here at T2 which says, we should really try to look to hire people or hire the right people and skill them rather than hire on skills and experience alone and pray they are the right people. Now, if you are recruiting for a a heart surgeon in the NHS, that that statement clearly doesn't apply, right? You have to have the skills and the qualifications as well. But in most situations, when people are sourcing candidates, they can source the right people and they can skill them very, very easily. Certainly, if they've got a good onboarding process and, and a good training model. Um, But you will get the qualifications on the CV. So what I'm saying here on CVs is, yes, we still believe at T2 that uh, CVs play a part. They have a a role, you know, they have a use. Um, Even if it's an indicative view of the tenure and experience of that person, the employment history, the types of organisations that they've worked for, um, their potential expertise and qualifications, it will at least allow you to see if, the candidate has these things. So I think use CVs, use them to support the sourcing process, but they are not the be-all and end-all. And remember, people can pay people these days to, to create them a CV that probably indicates far more experience or far more gravitas than maybe they have. So we've got to be careful with them, but we still believe they play a role in shortlisting when sourcing. Um one of the things i wanted to to share on this hubcast is around sourcing candidates is on job descriptions now you will only attract the right kind of talent if you are cast iron clear on the description of the role you are looking to fill and we see companies and people who are hiring fall foul of this time and time again. It is a very vague job description. Now, remember what I said earlier, people have more choice than ever in the modern day workplace through different platforms and through the ability, through the digital world and people being able to work remotely and technically work for any company on the planet anywhere. Um they have more choice than ever. So we've got to be really clear in our, whatever we do go out with our job advertisements, with our marketing, with our sourcing strategies, we have to be cast iron clear on the description of the role you are looking to fill. Things like, uh, and I see this missing time and time again, when we work with organisations on this, job title, hours, location, day-to-day expectations, salaries. Now here's a big contentious issue. People well, most people will still source, try to source candidates for jobs without giving them a definitive salary. Um, it not in every case, but a lot of people seem to reserve that for the interview stage. You know, what we can say from from sort from discussing this with candidates and, and people look and, and graduates and people looking for jobs and to enter the workplace is they want to know the salary before they apply, right? So, because other people are doing it and we can get salary ranges elsewhere. So Consider if you're going to be open and transparent in your do- job description with the exact salary for that role. In some roles, it's easier than others. um but you need to either give a salary or a salary range, which will increase your chances of people responding to um, you know to that job uh, application. Uh, be clear on the level of the role. Here's another thing. For example, uh, is it a trainee role? Is it an apprentice role? Uh, is it a more established role? Is it an experienced employee? What level do you need this person to have either operated at before or to fully understand what level you're asking them to operate at within this organisation? Is the role specialized? Is it a discipline which requires specific requirements or qualifications? I mentioned earlier heart surgeon, or for example, an accountant. You know, we, although we're firm believers in you've got to hire the right people and skill them, you absolutely still need to hire or to, to make clear any specialised disciplines or qualifications or, or, or requirements for the role if, if it requires it. And don't, don't fail to miss that out. We speak to people who have been through interview processes so many times and only to realise 10 minutes in they're underqualified or they don't stand a chance of getting the job or it's wasting your time as well. So just my whole point here on job descriptions is if you're going to source candidates effectively, uh, you've got to be cast iron clear on the role. What is it? What's the level of the role you're pitching? You know, everything from the job title to the hours, to the day-to-day expectations of the role, salary range or or exact salary, if you can help, help it, and any specific requirements or qualifications that they may need for the role. And this is an important final point on job descriptions always state whether there are opportunities for development and progression one of the things we know if you want to increase your chances of of increasing that 3.5 year tenure of your employees which everybody does and you know remember that's only the average we still do get people serving long time in roles and in uh, in organizations but you always have to state whether there are opportunities for development or progression. It's one of the number one things on candidates' radars at the moment. It's one of the top three um uh, facets that come back in employment engagement surveys in organizations people want career, career progression and it doesn't always mean they want to be the next boss or they want to be the next director or the head of it just means they want to have the opportunity to progress their skill set their experience move around experience different roles um build their knowledge get you know gain more knowledge within the organization so just make sure that in your job descriptions and applications that you're stating that the, the potential future opportunities for either development or progression within the organisation. So a little bit there on, my, on 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 my first two tips, which is CVs. Yes, still use them. Are they really of any use? Less and less so. But we believe they're still of some use in uh, giving you an indicative view of the potential candidate. Job descriptions which talks about that. Number two. Uh, Make sure you're not doing yourself a disservice by not including all of the facts and information in job descriptions. So, um, when it comes to sourcing candidates, the third thing I'm going to mention for this Hubcast is social media. Now, social media has become a recruiting monster. It really has. And if you're listening to this and you're a manager in an organisation or department or you're in HR and you are not actively using social media... Uh, for for targeted campaigns to source your candidates, you are missing out. Let me give you some stats here on, on the big three. Um, LinkedIn. LinkedIn has 530 million users as of 2019. 530 million users. It is the top site for recruitment strategies. Most organizations and recruiters use this as their primary tool. So if you engage a recruiter, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong in engaging a recruiter, but nine times out of 10, they're deploying Uh, social media campaigns to source your candidates for you, which you could with a bit of time and effort and focus do yourself, right? Uh, You could argue, I ain't got the time for that, we ain't got the budget for whatever it might be. Recruiters are specialised in the area. Well, believe me, you can do it because a lot of organisations are doing this. They have 530 million users and it is the top site for recruitment strategies. If you are not placing job advertisements uh, on LinkedIn, Uh, and sponsoring them and pushing them out to demographics, you are missing a trick. So you need to look into that and you need to think about that. Twitter, Twitter is 330 million users. Now, this is useful to push out links and pull in interests. We call it push and pull technology. So the use of hashtags can work. Um, If you want to try and fish in the candidate pond of the millennial and Generation Z coming through, Twitter is not a bad place to do it. Uh, as I say, as a push and pull technology, it's not uh, as as professional and as and have the strategy that LinkedIn has around recruitment, but it certainly can start to push your brand and your job opportunities out to a completely different market. Facebook, one billion users, jobs on Facebook feature you know if, if you're not using that depending on what time, type of business you are uh, it's popular with millennials and popular with generation z now if you're a business who who provides products or services to business to consumer i.e. not business to business to the end consumer uh, the individual the everyday person then facebook is a great way to recruit and source candidates um it's still a great way to to uh, recruit for business to business services but you know, it's just a little bit more uh, aligned to business to consumer. But they have one billion users, and there is a whole feature which is building and being improved on Facebook called Jobs on Facebook Features, so you should check that out. But they're the big three. Now, the one I haven't mentioned there, which uh, I fundamentally believe in, and if there's one thing you take from this Hubcast, let it be this, YouTube. Now, the amount of organizations we are working with, including ourselves, who have had success in sourcing candidates and attracting talent from YouTube, from creating very, very efficient, very succinct, very cool uh, videos uh, on open positions in the organization. Now, outside of Google, not many people realize this sometimes, but YouTube is the second largest search engine on the planet. You know, people will tend to Google it and then YouTube it. And not a lot of people think of YouTube as as, as a traditional channel to, to uh, source candidates or to go out there with the recruitment strategies. But believe me, you're missing a trick. Because by producing, and you don't get me wrong, you have to have somebody who can um, bring the organization, the brand, and the role alive in the mind of the candidates. You have to have somebody good in front of camera. But if you have a professionally recorded or series of recruitment videos almost saying, who are we? why should you join our journey, right? What do we stand for? What roles are we looking to fill? And what would be the opportunities for any successful candidates once they've landed? And if you can have someone who is engaging, inspiring, passionate, delivering that message, and you upload it to YouTube, you're going to start to enter a whole new market for sourcing candidates. And not only that, but once it's embedded in YouTube you can then drop that link into your LinkedIn into your Twitter feeds into your Facebook posts you can use the the YouTube video on multiple social media platforms. And that's where you start to bring your organization, your brand, and your open roles alive in the mind of the candidates. So if you're not using YouTube, remember, it's the second largest search engine on the planet at the minute. And you're not creating clever recruitment videos, which is, uh, you know, brings, brings your brand alive in the mind of candidates, which you know, which talks passionately about the opportunities that you're offering and the future that you're off- offering, then you're missing a trick. So consider if you have a YouTube account, if you don't, um, if you have, if you do have a YouTube account but you're just not recruiting on it because you haven't even thought about it, think about where you could start to run a few pilots with YouTube for sourcing candidates because it really, really does work. So best times to post on social media if you're going to go out for job advertisements. Um And if you think about this, 84% of employers are using social media for job advertisement now, 84%. So it's a proven technique, right? The best times to go out on LinkedIn if you're gonna post a job in the UK, so let's start just in the UK for now, uh, is between 8 and 9 a.m. in the morning. So people generally, their pattern of behavior is come in, grab my morning coffee, log on my LinkedIn, check my updates. So if you can post your job advertisements Advertisements between eight and nine AM. Then you stand, or, or even a little bit earlier, you can you stand the best chance of people coming across your posts um, in their morning checking, if you like, over coffee. Um, and then again at twelve till one PM. So again, busy. The busy morning takes off. The LinkedIn uh, activity goes down for a period of time or, or significantly reduces, and then it returns again over lunch. So people are having lunch at their desks or having lunch on their commute. On the, or on the train, whatever it might be, and they, they check out their LinkedIn. So 12 till 1 p.m. So in the UK, uh, if you're going to post jobs out and you want to hit the maximum amount of, or you want to have the maximum amount of views and hits, try 8 till 9 in the morning or a little bit earlier and 12 till 1 p.m. Best times on Twitter, according to research in the UK, is 5 till 9 p.m. on a night. So a different pattern of behaviour on Twitter. Uh, I know it's a bit tricky, but if, if employers... And organisations are going to post out job advertisements and messages on Twitter, then do it right at the end of the day, sort of 5pm, because people tend to, to update and check Twitter more so in an evening in the UK than maybe earlier on. I mean, of course... All of these platforms have been used all day long by different people, and individual user patterns will vary from person to person. But if you go on the data from a corporate perspective of when the, you stand the best chance of getting engagement on your posts, follow these times. So 5 p.m. till 9 p.m. on Twitter. And on Facebook, the best time to post, well, it's pretty much all day long on Facebook. You you could look at the trends and none of them are bad. 10 a.m. till 3 p.m., um, uh, any time between that, that uh, sort of time frame on Facebook, but Facebook is quite consistent. It's quite constant, in fact. And therefore, there's no real best time on that. Um, and that's just a few tips on social media. But just remember, just remember one thing that I've said there. And I'm going to make one last point on this podcast. Um, on social media, if you are not using LinkedIn as your core site, social media platform for recruitment strategies, you are missing out. You should be targeting demographics, targeted targeting audiences. You should be, um, you know, sponsoring your posts uh, because, again, most recruiters out there who are earning a living doing this will use LinkedIn as a major source of uh, of sourcing candidates. So, 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 think about doing that, and it's something you can drive in the organization. YouTube, don't forget what I said about YouTube; it is the second largest or most popular search engine outside of Google. You know, create fantastic, engaging videos. Have somebody charismatic, somebody who can present with power and presence in front of the camera. Sell your organisation. Why us? Who are we? Who are our clients? What do we do? Why is that important? And what roles do we, are we looking to fill? And what opportunities does that present for the successful candidate moving forward? Use, use YouTube. Short three to five minute videos. With some animation, music, whatever it might be, so you can bring your brand, your organisation, your role alive in the mind of the candidate. You can then embed those social, those YouTube links into your other social media platforms on a continuous basis, basis over the time that you're sourcing. So, uh, my last point for this podcast: we've we've covered CVs, we've covered job descriptions, and how important it is to be really, really transparent and, and detailed. And now we've just covered the use of social media. What I want to finish on there for is recruiters, external partners. So if everything I've just said uh, gives you an opportunity to source your own candidates, why would you still use recruiters? Well, for any of our recruiters client, clients listening, uh, you'll be glad to know that we still endorse this massively because when all said and done, it does take time, it takes patience, it takes activity, as you rightly know, to to source the right candidates. Um, but using recruiters, I always say this is a tongue-in-cheek joke. Using recruiters is like getting your best friend to go on a series of dates with your future partner, right? You go, and make, you go and see if, if you know, you whittle it down to the to the final three, and then I'll go on the dates, right? We've got, and I know that's a tongue-in-cheek sort of a comment there. But it can work. It can work for organizations when they're recruiting en masse, when they have temporary workers, when they have agency workers, when they have a a huge churn of staff. Of course, it's impossible for a small group of people in an organization to backfill at the rate that you need to backfill. So that's where external partners can really, really help. Um, But here, so what I'm saying is it's got to be situationally relevant for you and right for you. But let me give you a couple of considerations if you're going to engage external partners. And if you're an external partner or recruiter, listen to this. You know, some of the considerations you need to to understand in terms of what organisations want when they engage a partner. Number one, make sure you read the terms and conditions there's so many arguments and disagreements that that clients and recruiters fall out on because of the small print or because they didn't fully understand the terms and conditions of the partner's agreement. So make sure you do that. Try and negotiate a fixed fee rather than a percentage. Now, if you're a recruiter listening to this, you have a golden opportunity to stop with the mass percentages and Uh, and start agreeing with clients, a fixed fee for certain roles. Because once we have the fixed fee, we can work to a budget and we're more likely to stay around and partner you going forward. Um... The higher the salary, the higher the percentage, it starts to become untenable for, for many organisations, which is why they start giving up on the recruitment partnership. So I, I'm a firm believer in it. As long as that fixed fee is both mutually beneficial for the recruiter and for the uh, the organisation, I think everybody's a winner. Uh, ensure you have a rebate option within the first three to six months. Now, many great recruitment companies will have this. They will absolutely understand the importance that if, if we pay a fee to you, this person lands and leaves after three months. If I've got no rebate option, I'm just pouring money down the drain and I've got to start my process again. Most solid, great recruiters will offer you on a sliding scale um, for the first six months, some some for only the first three months, but I would push for six. I think it's reasonable because it can take six months for a candidate to find their feet, and it can um, usual probation periods in any employment law contract or any employment contract would be a six month period. So I would try and have a sliding rebate agreed with your recruiter um, up to six months, which means I'll get a percentage back if this person leaves. Um, be involved in the interview and shortlisting process. Don't just leave it to the recruiters. They might know your organization well, but quite often the most successful partnerships are where the hiring managers do get involved in the shortlisting process as well. Feedback early if the candidates you are seeing are not of the right caliber. Don't get frustrated in silence and then just cut the partnership. Feedback if we're not. Uh, seeing the right calibre of candidates and make sure that's addressed as early on in the process as we can. One of the biggest uh, factors of disengagement between recruiters and hiring companies is when they continuously send candidates that they believe are below par or not right for the role. So make sure that that open dialogue and that feedback happens. And make sure you rigorously investigate how they source their candidates. Like I say, there is some fantastic recruitment organisations out there who do a thorough job and they have differentiation. And there are those who will take your money and post on LinkedIn and Indeed and all of these other uh, job sites. And whoever comes through, they will feed them through, right? It's just the way of the world. So make sure you investigate your partner and ask the questions of how they source candidates, what's diff- different, how how are they going to source candidates that you physically cannot get to or you can't get to off your own accord, and why is that of value? And if you do that and you get the you get good, solid answers back, then you know you're you're partnering with a great recruiter. So that's all I've got for you for this Hubcast. Um, it's 25 minutes. I hope uh, it's been of value. Uh, this uh, Hubcast has been around sourcing candidates, you know, to know, three top tips for sourcing candidates really, or four top tips, sorry, for sourcing candidates. CVs, are there any of use? Well, yes, they are. Still use them, but use them as an indicative screening process only. Uh, Job descriptions, there's an opportunity to get better at this. Make sure you are crystal clear, you know, on, on your job description and be as transparent as you can, including salary and all of the other great stuff. Social media, tip three, if you are not using LinkedIn as your primary Uh, social media platform, you're missing a trick. And do not miss the opportunity to start getting smart with YouTube and embedding those YouTube videos into your social media platforms, posting at the right times to get maximum engagement so you can bring your organization, your brand, and the role alive in the mind of the candidates. And finally, external partners. There's nothing wrong in still engaging external partners to help source your candidates, but just think of some of the tips I've said. It's gotta be mutually beneficial. You've gotta get a good one, right? You've gotta make sure the terms and conditions are understood. You've gotta try and negotiate a fixed fee so it's beneficial for everybody and clearly defined. Always, always ensure you have a rebate option for at least three months, but I would prefer six months whilst the probation period of the candidate is being undertaken. Be involved in the interview and shortlisting process. Partner them. Don't just say, send me them and then complain when they're not right. And if they're not right, feedback early. Feedback early in the process and keep the partnership going, but make sure you rigorously investigate how your partner sources candidates and make sure they are not taking your money and just doing something that you could have someone in your office doing with a bit of time, effort and focus. And there's my top tips for sourcing candidates. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I'll be back shortly with another Hubcast where we explore the value of incorporating psychometric testing into your interview process. But for now, I'll leave you be. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. And I'll see you again for another T2 Hubcast.